0: Episode ninety one. I'm Ricky Thurman, and I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and at substance on everything to do with mental health. So, on that basis, as a disclaimer, we do strongly advise that you go see your GP, your nearest therapist, our crisis centre, if you find the topics of our discussion distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast formerly a radio show that pre-existed the pandemic and lockdown, so we've adapted to podcast medium for the meantime during and post-lockdown. If you're listening to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's brilliant community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM or online via the website at spicefm.co.uk. And we're also on air on Tuesday afternoons at 1pm and repeated on Saturdays at 3pm and we're also on DAB radio. If you'd like to get in touch, perhaps be signed posted to a guest or seek advice from our therapist, you can email us at mentally at or get in touch via our social media where we have links to all our shows as well. On Twitter Rat underscore mentally Sound, on Instagram Rat Radio and on Facebook it's Mentley Sound Radio Show, radio show being in brackets. And incidentally, on our Facebook header page, you'll find all the updated archives of all our podcasts with all the relevant topics listed underneath. We're also on the relevant podcast platforms, Look Up Mentally Sound on Clip, spelled C-L-Y-P, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. And on this episode, well, you could say we're very cafe-heavy, as my guests I interviewed in a couple of cafes in Newcastle. Firstly, in the first half, I have guests Rosa Sturrock-McCreary and Barbara Santos. And I literally spoke to them after they'd done some theatre laboratory training as part of Theatre of the Oppressed, which was on at the Northern Stage. And we'd be talking about all things to do with homelessness, how theatre can impact change and positive change especially also with Barbara's point of view coming from Brazil how she sees well-being and homelessness in this country and Rose will talk about her background and how theatre has always played a part of her life and in the second half I once again joined by a therapist Amir Mirza and we met at the Khyber in the West End once again This was recorded a good few weeks back, not long after World Mental Health Day. We talk about a variety of projects to do with refugees and their mental health. We talk about World Mental Health Day and the reflections on using such days in the calendar and what that means to all aspects of mental health. And we also have a second half of that podcast, which I'll fit into a future podcast, perhaps the next one. So we have plenty to look forward to there we would also like to dedicate this episode to mental health northeast chairperson neil kelly who sadly departed very recently and everyone at mentally sound wishes their deep condolences to neil kelly's family his friends and colleagues and everyone at mental health northeast i know that they championed mentally sound from day one so sit back and relax and i hope you enjoy this podcast thank you very much
1: Everybody, welcome to Mentally Sound, episode ninety-one of our Life After Lockdown podcast series. I'm here at the Tyneside Cinema Cafe in the heart of Newcastle upon Tyne with two very special guests, good friend of mine, Rosa Sturak, McCreary and uh, Barbara Santos, and they're going to talk about a very exciting project that they've just undertook. First of all, how are you both? Rosa, how are you?
2: <laughs> I'm good. Uh, A little tired. There's been a lot to organize the last uh, weeks, and um, also it's been an intense weekend. But I'm also really energized and um, have really enjoyed this time together. So,
1: yeah. Barbara, how are you? I'm really fine. Thank you
3: for the invitation.
0: Yes. Right. Great.
1: And as some listeners might have already picked up. Um, the exo- The exotic tones of Barbara. I'm very one who's excited about the diversity of the our city has, and we welcome you. and How did you get here, and what's your background?
3: Yeah, I am Barbara Santos. Yes, like I'm Brazilian originally. I live in Germany in Berlin, right. okay. Yeah, and there wow. I have a theater space called Curinga, uh-huh. and I work. Uh, with the guy the name August Wau, wow. the person that systematized the theater of the friends. Right. And uh, I am here because I got no Rosa. I think she was the first time listening in the podcast. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Podcast? Not that's a kind of Zoom meeting right. with Adrian Jackson from London from Cardboard Citizen, I think right. was there. And afterwards we already collaborated in Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And then she she was in Berlin our festival because my theater space. We do a festival that we call Aesthetics of the Oppressed" yeah. in Berlin, and then there's a gathering of international groups, majority from Europe, but not from not only. Sometimes we receive groups from abroad, from India, Singapore, mm-hmm. people that was, uh, I'll say, studying with us previously. Is that, and then uh, she was invited me to take part in the her project
1: and I'm here for this weekend. Here you are,
3: you're yeah. most welcome. Exactly, here we
1: are. And Rosa, who I've known for a few years, um, we've tried to get her on for various reasons, for whatever reason, it, it never happened. Finally, she's here. Yeah. Um, let listeners know about your own background and your own sort of interest within theatre. And, and cardboard citizens as well, because I know you've talked about that in the past the years. Sure. Sure.
2: Um. So I come from a family of political theatre makers and um, my interest in theatre has always been around how it can be useful to us as human beings, as a society, um, as a way of recognising and addressing the injustices, the inequalities that we face, the oppressions that we uh, sometimes experience. Um, and uh, both as a celebration of our capacity as human beings to, when we come together especially, to actually imagine a reality that is different from the one that we're living, and to uh, find ways to enact that reality, to change that reality. And so for me, Theatre of the Oppressed is uh, a form that I first experienced quite young when I was maybe 16 years old. And it's something that has been present in my practice ever since. Mm -hmm. I did training with a London-based company called Cardboard Citizens um, when I was 19 or so in London. And then I lived in Paris and I went to the centre for Theatre of the Oppressed in in Paris. And And then for many years, it was there in my practice, but I didn't... Really use it full-time. I was doing other things. I I ran an indoor skate park and circus training space, and I was making theatre in different um, environments. And it was always there as a tool I could draw on, but it wasn't my central focus. And then I got to a point where I remembered just how much I loved it and how fascinating I found it and how important I think it is as a tool. And here in the Northeast, um I saw that there were not many people who were aware of this way
1: of working. Well this is, sorry to interrupt, but this is going to be my next question because it was something that you, you picked up, and there was a kind of an international movement and you kind of wanted to bring it home a little bit and you felt that there was a fertile ground here for it to bring, bring it to, is that, is that a fair comment?
2: Yes, I saw that there were, for example, um, activists who wanted to do things in different ways and that theatre could be a tool for them, but that they didn't have a lot of experience of making theatre. And I tried to bring them together with people who did have experience of theatre or of other performance styles. Um, and, and then I, I went back to the practice and I did more training and I worked more with Cardboard Citizens and I went to uh, Vancouver to train with David Diamond with uh, the theater, company Theatre for Living. Uh, and then I did a, a kind of um, a little apprenticeship with, with Cardboard Citizens where I assisted a joker called Terry O'Leary on a project in St Albans. And then from that um, Cardboard Citizens decided to host a residency Um, a regional residency here in the Northeast. And I was the regional coordinator and then the lead artist for that residency. And that took place, um, it started just before the pandemic and then it was supposed to be happening. Um, And then because of the pandemic, we had to change how we did things. So we ended up working on a project about um, the barriers to uh, accessing healthcare for people experiencing homelessness in Newcastle. And the health outcomes for people experiencing homelessness in Newcastle are very, very poor. It's a real, the statistics show that there's a real crisis. Um, Newcastle is uh, one of the cities in the UK that has the highest number of deaths on the street. And yet we have an NHS, and yet we have healthcare that is supposed to be free at the point of access. So clearly there are issues in terms of people accessing healthcare when they're also experiencing homelessness. And so we were able to support a project that Crisis and Groundswell were doing, um, which was peer research around access to healthcare, And and through creating a piece of theater, a forum theater, which asked of an audience to dialogue with us about these issues and to look at what change might look like. Um, And uh, we ended up having to do that online. So we we did it via Zoom. And um, we performed in a Zoom meeting to, Uh, people who are the key stakeholders in healthcare in the Northeast and that informed an action plan around um, health in in particular looking at health for people experiencing homelessness Uh, and on the back of that I then applied for uh, funding from the Arts Council when when the Cardboard Citizens Residency ended I applied for uh, funding from the Arts Council to run my own project essentially working with a number of different partners, social sector and arts sector partners in the Northeast, um, including Crisis and Recovery College Collective, um, organizations that support people seeking asylum. And also i developed, um, partly inspired by, by Barbara and um, uh, the kind of exposure I was having to this online community of Theatre of the Oppressed Practitioners during the pandemic. Um, I thought uh, the work that Barbara was doing about feminist approach to Theatre of the press was really interesting to me and there was nothing like that here in the UK uh, and I thought well let's make it happen um, and in fact me and a colleague Debbie Beeks, who have worked together a bit we uh, had a Zoom chat at the time and we said uh, we both saw this interview in which Barbara talked about her practice and we were like we, we want to do this, we want to be part of this and make this happen here where we live. And so ever since, that's been uh, really a, a, a central focus of my work here in the north. Amazing. Amazing.
1: Barbara, in terms of what Rosa was saying about, you know, the Cold you know, citizens aspect and homelessness, in your kind of ways, where you've been around the world, Germany, yeah, was there anything that you picked up upon when you arrived in the UK about how... We deal with homeless specifically, and perhaps well-being. And is that something that perhaps you wanted to get across in workshops, or was it completely sort of
3: separate? No, it's like uh, when we say uh, theater of the press or theater in general, we are talking about a language. Right. It's a kind of tool that we use, and then what we want is is proposing a dialogue, like to involve the citizenship, the people. In the discussion of different topics, okay. and then the topics they are they are similar in different countries because yeah. we all live under patriarchal system,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and also in the capitalist society, mm-hmm. and then the capitalist society is, a, is about also how to make people rich and people poor. Yeah, it's like a, and these two groups of people they meet in everyday life,
1: yeah.
3: and the capitalism make. Every year, more people without the conditions to live and they have a life in the the good life, yeah, and they can access even food, yeah, yeah, even place to live. This is not specific for one place. You go any country nowadays, you see, you have much more people even to go to Germany. I live in Germany twelve years and then when I come there I could not compare how many people nowadays in the street as like ten years ago. Yeah. Only a decade. Yeah. yeah. So of course for me that comes from the global south it's different to see homeless. Yeah. Because my country, for instance, homeless is not uh, facing this kind of cold that people can die exactly. outside yeah. because of the cold. Yeah. 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 In my seat, see people sleep <laughs> outside, but they are not going to die because of that. Yeah. So it's interesting what you what
1: you just say. That reminds me of my time in India. If I was to go to somewhere like uh, Mumbai, and of course it's the home of Bollywood, and In the background, you see sort of like mansions, what they call bungalow, which bungalow means something different here. It's like a single story, but over there, bungalow is like the huge mansions. So you see homelessness in the forefront, and in the background, you see these. And I I, I don't, and it'll never cease to amaze me that stark difference that you see within that one snapshot. And to be honest, from what you just said there, I'm kind of starting to see here as well. Because it's a problem that's definitely getting worse? The, the first
3: time that I saw Homeless actually was in UK. Yeah. UK was my first international travel. Yeah. yeah, I was in Brazil and I never had an international travel. It was the first time I came to Newcastle, actually. Yeah, yeah. The first time that I saw Homeless was in February in London. Yeah. Okay. And I felt like, wow, for me, come from the global south. Mm-hmm. I I have feeling the really higher injustice to come in a rich country yeah. with homeless. For me, these two ideas was so hard because you know the rich country. I never imagined that the rich country they have the same thing yeah. like we have in the global south. Why a rich country has homeless was so hard for me to understand. Yeah. And I was like, and you know, also to see. These people outside in the really cold situation was some, some some aesthetic experience too, you know, to see people try to live in the in the in the cold that, that I that I cannot support to stay
1: yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. stand, you know, but they are there on the floor. It's like it was really shocking first experience. But this is capitalism. Yeah. And then we are all Right, we can we can see the language that we use the theater that we use is like to try to help people to see what the society try to hide yeah. you know yeah. and also more than see understand why this happened why people is is uh, sleeping outside maybe the mainstream will say yeah, because they don't want to work because they are lazy because they are losers. Yeah, what we try with our theater is show or try to investigate yeah. why this happened. Yeah, yeah. this have a reason to happen, and then it's like uh, we want also to to put light on it and the reason, the, the cause of that. But also asking people, what are we can I do? What this is a problem that is outside the problem, or this is our problem sure. to have a, to, to to walk on the street and we have a lot of people sleeping outside. Is this yes. a social problem? Or this exactly. is this a problem of this person individually? And this is the question and the think that we are trying to, to bring on stage.
1: That's really interesting. And, and it's fantastic that we've got someone like your, your perspective on this from, you know, coming, coming from somewhere else here and observing. And I feel that over here, and I'll ask Rose's opinion on this as well, because here, how homelessness is kind of used in a narrative like just housing, but quite often you'd hear people even when vulnerable people become rehoused, they very quickly become go outside back again in the streets because they've not had the help to deal what's going on in their in their minds. And uh, Rosa, first of all, is that is that an observation you'd agree with? Would you
2: Absolutely, I think that that the. the, the, the I mean, having a roof over your head in a safe place to be, yeah. I'm not going to ever underestimate the importance of that. Um, I think you know anyone who has ever experienced that kind of insecurity and instability will know what value it has, just to have a roof over your head and somewhere to stay. But of course, on top of that, you have to have other kinds of conditions in place to support you to be able to have the kind of life um, that that you want to have so you know having especially when someone has been through traumas and being homeless in itself is traumatic and the impact of that again ha- you know can't be underestimated so of course people need support with their mental health
1: hence why a lot of homeless people are like veterans who've gone through trauma serving on the front line and so on and not had the. room
2: In fact, two of the themes that we worked on during this training that right. we were doing this weekend, which Barbara, yeah. was, Barbara was leading with us, um, one was about um, veterans and mental health, right. and the impact um, of not receiving the right kind of support, and how that can also impact on veterans' families, so the high rates of domestic um, mm-hmm. abuse and, and yeah. violence. And PTSD among both veterans and actually their family members, and and another issue um, that came up during the training was to do with um, uh, pregnancy and and parenting, and how in society um, that is really not supported. You know that that becoming a parent or the choice about whether or not to have uh, a, a child, especially for women, is. Um, is made incredibly difficult and is fraught with tensions. Everybody has an opinion about it, but there is very little support, actually. Um, and so these were some of the issues that were brought Amazing. up in the training um, that we created plays about.
1: Quite timely on the whole, going back to all the veterans thing, because, of course, we've just had Guy Fawkes night. And um, people who, who know PTSD quite well know that that particular date in the calendar is fraught with flashbacks because of all the bangs and... And sounds, it triggers flashbacks to a lot of the veterans and you know um, which is so it's a night that they don't look forward to and, and you know I saw that on social media um, they were talking about pets but it's not just pets it's people as well that don't, you know because it brings back all those so, so that, that's really all, all really interesting so tell us about how, how these workshops and classes have gone successful? Really? Go on. Yeah, I think it
3: was uh, really successful yeah. in the sense that the people was uh, interested to, to put topics on the stage to understand like how could we bring our topics and yeah. uh, transform it
1: in the art piece because sometimes... So what's what's unique about what you, you guys do as opposed to maybe other theatre-based yes, uh, workshops?
3: I, I would say that this there's, there's a kind of uh, 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 method that try to put our life on the stage, yeah. Also, in the way of transform the the problem that we face in our life in, in a piece of art. When you put this as a piece of art, it also has another vision of that. You know, even when you are facing traumas or anything, you you become an outsider of your own experience, and these give you a, 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 another vision, yeah. And also to to take a distance is also a kind of freedom mm-hmm. to take a distance to understand. Yeah. And also the most important figure to understand that is not your guilt. Mm-hmm. You what happened with you is not because you provoke personally. You know this is structural. And sometimes the way that society seeing problems like ah you are drug addicted because we are so weak. Yeah. So I don't don't consider the depression that that you have to be so successful, successful, make right, do it, do it and then when you are more sensible or when you need more time It's the way they kind of
1: um, almost monetize the word successful, doesn't it? It's like it has to be within a... But it's
3: capitalist society, put the the responsibilities on your shoulder the oppressed has to carry the whole responsibility you know, and then what we try to say is like we have to develop a social commitment.
1: Yeah.
3: If we have a problem in society, this is our problem. This is not a problem of this single mother. This is a problem of society that's exactly. so sexist, is yeah, yeah, yeah. so machist, yeah. and seeing that we want children for the future. So children is our aim as society. Yeah. We want children because we are we say it a lot uh, against abortion, for instance. So let's take care of all If you believe in the community and yeah. community psychology,
1: then you embrace yeah. what yeah. others are going through and, you know, tap it together. But it's
3: not I mean. like that because the capitalist society... They don't want you to think like course, that. Of yeah. course. We don't want because we are so much trained to be one. Yeah. We are so much trained to take, take care of your own, take care of your life.
1: Yeah.
3: Don't think about what is wrong. You have to save. Your future, exactly. You to save your job. Yeah. You to save your car. You know, it's like so. And those heavy. who don't
1: have enough to save, they can't save anyway because they have to spend, spend straight yes, away to course, keep. Yeah, of course,
3: yes. of course. And then it's about so much about competition, conquer. You know, it's it's it's, it's difficult to build that community when the whole ideology is about competition. It's about my neighbours, my enemy, yes. My neighbours who take my space.
1: It's interesting what, what you just said there. A few days ago, I was at the Newcastle University on a debate about how the North East will tackle the cost of living crisis. And all that you just said there, Barbara, was, was almost identical. Because it's 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 local, but also, I think it's worldwide, What how they see this problem and I see it, it's it's Yeah, Yes, so, um, completely.
3: What great. we try to develop in this dialogue with the audience is the commitment. We say, oh, we are seeing a scene that have one person that is facing mental health issues. But you know, we all, as a society, we are in one step to have a mental health problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because the stress that we live, because the kind of life we live, we are just, it's one step, divide us to be healthy or not, you know?
1: We're all just one step away from something that we might not anticipate Exactly, an exactly, so. it's,
3: it's, it's, it's not about one person, it's about the way we live, yeah. and then it's not about one person support, it's about how we change system, we have to change the structure, because, okay, I can give for this individual a support, but if you're not change the way of live. It just produces more people that have mental health issues.
2: We need support. <laughs> yeah,
3: but yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it's no ending. When we see that what we need is really have a, a more healthy life, you know? Yeah. This is, would avoid a lot of problems. Instead of just trying to develop drugs against some kind of, uh, uh, to develop medicine for kind yeah. of illness. Yeah. Instead of trying to produce more health.
1: Pill popping society, but thankfully yeah. things like social prescribing is something I'm really excited about because I don't know if you know about social prescribing where now doctors can actually tell people, you know, go out there, do some bird watching, go for a run, join, join a local sort of animal. You know, welfare group, something like that. Join a local theater group. Actually, prescribing these, I think, is a really a great step forward. You know, this is,
3: could be, I think, this is also really amazing yeah, yeah. way of seeing because yeah. sometimes we need time, we need uh, community, yeah. we need to 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 step out of this island that uh, is I. Yeah. yeah, I become an island. Yeah that provoke a lot of isolation and provoke it after pandemic that was made a little bit worse because we were really isolated physically yeah. and then it's like a,
1: the pandemic kind of brought it all home for us didn't it About, yes
3: you know. but was the 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 thing that we saw it we could understand what this meaning more completely you know it's like aha, huh is it it's this we have to overcome you know like a, we have to meet each other in the sense of being community, being because we are global community, yeah. and that's like, yeah. but it's, it's still we have facing war among countries. It's, it's, that brings us for nothing. If you imagine the future of ourselves.
1: This has been an amazing uh, conversation. We're already near the end of this podcast. Um, I'll ask you, Rosa, as a sort of a last question, What what is the future now of the Theatre of the Oppressed? What, what, what visions do you have in the future? I wish I'd been there to see this if it wasn't for my... But I'd be excited to come along next time if there's anything planned. Is anything in the pipeline as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean,
2: I'm currently working on a project with Crisis, um, with people who uh, have done peer research about the transfer of healthcare from prisons. So people who have both experience of prison and homelessness. Um, they interviewed other people who were also had both of those experiences. And they, um, as part of this now, we're making a, a number of different kinds of creative um, interventions that will be at an event at the Star and Shadow Cinema in, in January 2023. Um, and that will be uh, really looking at kind of what are the key issues for people leaving prison in terms of accessing healthcare.
1: The sort of mechanisms that go in with that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. And uh, keep us abreast with, with all that sort of thing. Thank you. Very timely end to this, this part of the podcast. Um, thank you, Barbara Santos. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rosa, as well. Uh, we finally got to record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is probably one of the most uh, international uh, podcasts I've recorded. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, Thank you very much. This is part one coming to an end of Mentally Sound. Life after lockdown. Episode 91. Catch us again next week. Thank you very much. Hello everybody, welcome to Mentally Sounds, Life After Lockdown, uh, the reason I say uh, Life After Lockdown, because do you remember the discussion last last time I'm here where we were, were thinking about lockdown and how far we've gone, I've been thinking about doing a sort of a rebrand, but we'll, we'll sort of talk about it in a bit, but uh,
4: first of all, how are you? How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you Ricky, busy as usual and just looking forward, to no, our catch ups really, I don't enjoy them now. Yeah, really yeah. good, really good.
1: I'm not so bad as well. Um, things have been a little bit busy. Some some things I've been involved with, which does have a mental health angle. So it was a pleasure to be at the Freedom for Torture relaunch meeting. It was also a great pleasure to be at the North Tahasik Field demonstration on the Saturday, where people from all over the country came up to protest the detention of asylum seekers and refugees, particularly women, because. When you consider all the trauma that they've been through getting here and what trauma further detention brings, can I just sort of lead from a quick question on the back of that, Amir? With your workings with trauma, what does an environment like a detention center do to a person? Does it exacerbate the trauma? Does it, you know, they come here looking for refuge, humanity? Uh, they've gone on a perilous journey, many have lost close ones along the way. We've seen that sort of thing in the news, but when I was there yesterday, it did look at a very almost like a 60s kind of brutal architecture type environment. Um, even though concert in the countryside is 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 a great 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 surrounding, but you know we saw sort of barbed wire there, high fencing. What, what's your what's your kind of feelings are alongside that? I mean, I suppose you could call. Bring in the whole refugee crisis in on a whole in this discussion. Well, oh.
4: I think we've got to go to the start. The people have experienced war, mm-hmm. uh, children have suffered. They've saw all these terrifying things, yeah. and they've had a horrific journey
0: yeah.
4: to get here. Yeah. Okay. So... Carrying all this trauma, mm-hmm. then the problem isn't it's is it the right environment or not. The problem is that once they're placed in a detention center, mm-hmm. then every day they're reliving that they're going to yeah. get deported,
1: yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, replay of that trauma again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's I, I don't know if there's any support there, any type of therapy. I know you mentioned freedom from torture, they do a lot of work yeah. with asylum seekers, refugees, yeah. victims of torture, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they did some amazing work in the past. Mm-hmm. And, um, but
1: it's also the not known, isn't it, whether they're going to be. You mentioned depo- deporting. Mean, I can
4: actually talk about a case I worked with years ago. Oh yeah, um, go ahead. The the gentleman had been a victim of torture. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a lot of scars, physical scars and mental scars to show for it. Sure. Now, when he was going through his asylum, the the refugee pro- the, the the asylum process, mm-hmm. his case would be reviewed every six months. Okay. What was happening to him was, at the beginning, at, so what would happen, he'd start reliving okay. these memories of torture. He would see the torturer in the mirror in the house. Okay. And he felt that he's, someone was gonna come to his house and drag him away and torture him again. Okay. So he took it upon himself to sleep outside. He'd sleep yeah, in bushes and parks. Although he had the apartment, he felt safer that nobody could come in and yeah, take him away. Yeah. But when he got when it got to the six months and they renewed it, okay. then he'd have a little bit of respite. But then, of course, he'd start reliving it again because he doesn't know what was going to happen after those next six months. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: really interesting. It reminds me of a a documentary that I watched on homelessness. You know, I think a lot of people jump to the default of, oh, we need to build more housing. Of course, there needs to be more housing. But quite often, I hear stories of where people who are then rehoused often don't stay that long because when they've not had the help to deal with what's going on in their minds. They can't function within that new environment within that within that house and they go back in the streets so it's it's obviously a big a big sort of numerical figure missing from that equation isn't there and it seems to be and i think it's similar in the case what you're you're describing there but um yeah i mean given what we see in the news as well about certain politicians having dreams of 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 you know planes leaving and carrying refugees to different countries i mean we discussed before that. I mean, we have a shared sort of humanity compassion in this case, but it just leaves us angry, doesn't it? And if we're angry, imagine what, what they must be going through. So, and it's just. They've
4: just racialized yeah. asylum seekers and refugees. That's yeah. that's what they've done. Yeah. You know, if you're from a certain part, you're okay. If you're from another, it's not. And, and you know, I. I'm actually disgusted sad and angered by this process but yeah. like, you know we accept this is the problem yeah. you know we're easy to group people into a certain category but yeah. mental health is individual yeah. and yeah. The, as soon as we start you know the time to start to individualize it and help those people as individuals sure. that helps them create their own identity sure and
1: it's like what we see you know people welcome the open arms refugees right. from ukraine but as i i remember discussions with Groups like the West End Refugee Service and Freedom from Torture, as you mentioned, that this has become like a two-tier system, and because, maybe, it's, and it probably is based a lot of it's based on race. Yeah. But yeah. I even hear now that even the the system organised to help refugees from Ukraine has gone pear-shaped. That, that even that. Well, only
4: um, there for six months. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people, I received an email the other day asking could you take some refugee families right. or individuals and because their six month time had expired. Okay. Now that's along with the cost of living crisis. Okay. But I mean, it's not only the, the £350 a month that people get. Okay. The asylum seekers are getting funding and if they want to work, they can get work, but yeah. they're getting benefits. Yeah. Now the the interesting part here, sorry I'm not going off subject a it was, sure. but, but a couple of weeks ago we were bombarded with, uh, and this is the press, not what's happening here, Mm -hmm. is we are bombarded on how there was hundreds of thousands of people leaving Russia because they didn't want to be called up as reservists. Yeah, that's true. But, Ukraine's been doing it this right from the start.
1: Yeah.
4: I know, you know, I heard from people, how many men refugees have we had? We've had none because they're not allowed to leave. If they're on a certain age, they are not allowed to leave. But we don't hear this in the press. Mm -hmm. You know, so those families are being split you know and they're not going to stand up with the press because they're getting supported and they're getting helped they left a war zone you know the women and children that have come here but how many men have been housed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't know any yeah yeah um, just going on what you just said there
1: you see you received an email was this something you applied for or something you've done in the past or?
4: i originally applied for it to help yeah. but then when when it became that the you know i i um, disagreed with yeah. the equality of it all yeah. and so it started you know they actually put like you know if you're white you can get asylum and you'll get support and if you're any other colour you can't yeah. and that was my thing like I said I was sad angry and you know I'm just it's it's horrifying do
1: you know what that, in a way that relates to for those of you listening if you were if you happen to catch the World Mental Health Day podcast I recorded one of the guests was Adoption Northeast. and we often we actually did talk about that sort of taboo about when race comes to the issue of adoption and you know people taking in their families and things. So, so do listen to that one again.
4: Sure. So, you know, Newcastle are housing a lot of refugees and the council's working hard from Ukraine. You know, there was single women there. There was women with children, yeah. families. But there was no men. No.
1: Well, you mentioned our city and what it's done for refugees. And um, it's one of the things I'm really, really proud of in terms of the, the city. And when I went to Field yesterday, uh, a lot of those people were there under the banners and everything. It was great to see that a wonderful solidarity, but really addressing, as you heard with Amir, um, you know his his passion. Uh, you know I I echo, I echo that very much. Um, and so another rally I've been to was the Enough is Enough rally. We we do expect now with a lot of activity, a lot of the calling out the winter of discontent. I think we're going to address this a little bit later on because. I think, as I mentioned before, the the podcast for World Mental Health Day. Um, that was one of the main topics I want to discuss in this in this episode. So first of all, I mean, as a generic starter, Amir, what what did you do on that day? Can you remember? Worked. Worked. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
4: uh, with mental health. Yeah. Uh, with online sessions. Uh, so. Did you, within the
1: organisation, mark the occasion at all, or was it just a, any other normal sort of? How do you mark? Uh, well, I mean, a you know, the you know, occasion when we actually
4: work with mental health every day.
1: What I mean is, like, was the organisation putting things out on social media? So today's World Mental Health Day. Is, no, we 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 do it every day.
4: Yeah. There's not, you know, the thing is, we're, we're at the forefront of it, and, and and I think with you know World Mental Health Day is an acknowledgement and to to remove the stigma. Yeah. We're actually people working with people who've removed that stigma and have yeah. come to us for help. So we're actually not in that place yeah. of that. Yeah. It's the the thing of... You know, within the public, getting an idea that there is help out there because okay. once they come to us, they're okay. getting the help that they okay. need.
1: So, when we have these sorts of questions and discussions, um, with other people, particularly people who have, um, you know, are service users who have experienced themselves, and um, one of the most common feedbacks that you get is like every day is a world mental health day or a mental health yeah. day, which is, of course, very much true. So, my question is, I mean, how significant is it to have? These sorts of days marked in the diary—is it there as a sort of a daily reminder? I mean, it works well with social media, as I mentioned before. People can put out, you know, memes and, and pictures and words of advice. People sharing tips, which is all very well. But is it important to have calendars, sort of calendar markings of such times, or do you feel it's a little bit—I don't know—diluted, or or it's important to perhaps say, you know, every day is a World men's Day. Why can't we have?
4: Work on every day not being with mental health. I think you have to look at it because it's directed towards your target audience. Yeah. Now the people who experience mental health, they want support. But of course, it's all governed by waiting lists and everything else. So I think it's it's counterintuitive in the sense that. Please go and seek support okay. and acknowledge mental health. Yeah. When actually the services are finding difficult to manage the influx of okay. Okay. referrals, okay. and this is right across the board, all across the UK. So it's like
1: asking, asking to get the help, but the help while available at the moment is very limited. So yeah. it's like yeah, yeah problem mm-hmm. on top of problem. Yeah, yeah that, that's a that's a way of looking at it. Surely, but in terms of um, I guess in this age of social media, people finding communities a lot of celebrities obviously use the mm-hmm. the day to tell them about their backstories and yeah. and sharing tips and advice so overall would you agree that it is a, a good thing
4: and and there's more it, there's more pluses than minuses it, it, there most definitely is and I think when you when you uh, attach a celebrities to it it's it's a lot more normalization yeah, and yeah. you know what we see we hear terrible stories of people taking their own lives, or contemplating taking their own lives, and it, it, in a sense, it needs to be focused on those people yeah. who have got to the yeah, point yeah. where they feel they have to end their life. Yeah, yeah. You know that there is support there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, I do agree with that. Yeah. But working on this side is I'm yes, experiencing, yes. you know, the, 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 the waiting lists, mm-hmm. the shortage, this Absolutely. that, a lot of it, and, and, and it's it's. Frankly, a system which isn't currently working. So sure. you know
1: in one sense you you kind of answered my next question, which is kind of an offshoot one really, but I guess with these sorts of things as well, there's always that danger of people using the day to take advantage to to you know so it's like that saying, isn't it? Are you really helping that person because what you're really doing is helping yourself in a way in these in this era of, of 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 hiring one's profile with social media people might be accused of jumping the bandwagon is that a bad is is that a good or bad thing and and i guess the question after that as well well is it really that bad i mean i guess the more conversations that we're having around it is can generally be funneled into a a good place or i mean
4: my my view on that ricky is that because um most shows are reality tv you know, there's a little the language in there is very broad. That is people's reality. Yeah, yeah. So once you get one of those people involved in mm-hmm. reality TV stuff, yeah. um yeah. is and they could step forward yeah. and discuss their mental health or winning to share, then yeah, of course it is. I mean, it's fortunate we got to this, but you know, I think every every Little helps in that way. So people look up to certain people, half the names I haven't even heard of. You know, I have conversation with the guy. Oh, have you heard of so and so? And I get, and I get laughed at. Oh. <laughs> Same when I say, well, I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's that is how people are living their life. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. everything is online. Everything yeah. is reality TV. Yeah. Anybody can come famous just by drinking too much, falling over, and taking their clothes off. Is nothing. Is a lot of the shows are, are. they really not? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So I think we're in we're in general agreement that
4: as long as a follow-through is there, it's generally a good thing to have this thing, right? yeah. I think, yeah, it is. But do you, do you know what it is? It was years ago, I think, at the turn of the 20th century, you had the, I don't know if I spoke about this before, but you had, you know, Nietzsche, you had uh, Kafka, yeah. uh, uh, Thomas Mann and that, and, and the things they were talking about
1: yeah.
4: was... That society had become diseased. We ended up in two world wars. Well, we've now been out of war, really, but yeah. two first world wars, horrific wars. You know, the 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 bringing down of you know empires mm-hmm. collapsed. I think it was three or four, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, at the turn of the century in the first world war. Yeah. And What's happened is they said we were living in a diseased society. Right. So that disease hasn't necessarily left us. Sure. sure. You know, and now it's. It's, it's shifted mm-hmm. to online because mm-hmm. that's how techno- advanced technology has become mm-hmm. you know some horrific things I work with I keep using the word horrific but yeah. it's these um, online grooming of children on these chat rooms okay. the, the likes of Discord and that you know I, I, I constantly have to to talk with children and raise their awareness like, don't talk to strangers yeah. because I've, I've you know i've worked with children who've been groomed online yeah. by a person yeah. that the police can't even identify because we're in america yeah. and they're yeah. infamous for it they're known to the police so sure. they can't catch sure. them sure. so you see the horrors that come with this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know living this life yeah yeah you know and moving away but yeah sorry, sorry. i went off, no, went no, off no. topic there a little bit
1: no man everything you see is very relevant i think i've had too much sugar You should talk to Amir when you're not not hitting the recording button. I think (laughs) you'll go away very, very informed. Uh, I can master for that. Previously, we talked about I think we were quoting Samaritans figures, weren't we, on in in addressing World Suicide Prevention Day. So, on the basis of what we just talked about, could the calendar be have more days associated with certain aspects of mental health to give it? I know that there are them days there. I mean, I think there's a. You know, a bipolar awareness day and stuff like that anxiety, PTSD but is there, is there value to adding more such days or do you, do you think it might be a danger of just overloading it all anyway
4: it becomes I, I think the day should be once a month for certain days Uh, as you know I mean uh, we're raising awareness not money so you know the children in need is a great example where they'll raise a hundred million over Christmas over a nice thing that is amazing that's once a year at Christmas but these things we need to have I think it'd be great to see on a calendar you know if companies started printing calendars saying today is you know bereavement day today is international you know international you know Uh, refugee day that uh, yes. today is International Homeless Day. Yeah. So, when we look at the calendars, mm. we can actually see what day it is, mm. and it's a gentle reminder, mm. you know, of of how lucky we are sometimes what oh, yes. because we're not experiencing. But I mean, look how
1: look how look at the popularity of uh, Movember, yeah, where people grow tashes and want to address, you know, um, oh, men- is that why you've done that, Ricky? <laughs> Whether it address, you know mental health or you know male you know cancers, I think it's very targeted, particularly with with males, isn't it? As you say, I mean, and we know within mental health that is a, uh, a taboo area. Us getting us guys.
4: I think it's hard to reach, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, when we when we're discussing the sexes, in a sense, that there's still some set patterns and ways mm. how we, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, women are this way, men are that yeah. way, yeah. and you know, there, there's no misogyny in there. It's no. just a thing cultural inheritance sure. what we've done with our upbringing is you know sure. in a certain way sure. so that's yeah there, there is a stigma attached with it mm. does it change the stigma I think it needs a monthly review can I ask
1: you on the back of that Then, when was the last time you heard the expression man up
4: no I actually heard woman up have you yeah yeah yeah, yeah I actually sure I've heard, heard that one, one. I mean, no it's, it's really good I actually smiled when I heard that well I was working with uh, a young girl uh, she was about 70 she went I really need a woman up, you know. I I love that. I thought I said, that's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just asked because, I mean, it's one of those where, I mean, I heard it so often in my youth, and I remember even in my 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 then-GP actually saying that to me as well one time. But it's one of those where it's like man up or maybe come and have a drink with me down the pub and, and sort of, you know, kind of like... Yeah, but I mean... With all the different gender, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, I don't hear it that as often now, which which surely means it's
4: a good thing because it's meaning that
1: trying is, not to conceal
4: is, it, is a it bad means? thing. Do you not think that the g- different gender identifications has removed all that?
1: Oh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I agree on that part, yeah. but mm. I mean, like, the, the expression itself is it
4: is it rightly becoming outdated? In mm. way? It is outdated now, yeah. but. Uh, Unfortunately, until we address this stigma, then I think there's still a need for it. Okay. Okay. You know, until it's addressed, that, you know, mental health should be, you know, challenged, addressed. Nothing to do with gender. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's all that, I think it's all kind of entrenched into our culture and heritage, especially in this corner of of the world, because, you know, our parents' generation might say, well, we've been through tough times. We're okay, so the the inher- inherited way is that you guys shouldn't feel anything either. Mm-hmm. You know, we're living proof that you can get through it. Um, but what what we don't realise is when times change, also people's coping mechanisms change, and people's level of trauma and what they're exposed to also changes. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a generation kind of battle
4: going on there, isn't it? So, is it, it, it- the situation I think I've discussed it before, Avner, is did our fathers or grandfathers have time to be depressed?
1: Exactly. You know, because they mean? were working, was especially it? immigrant. Yeah. yeah I that. mean, was
4: it Marx or Lenin said that uh, depression is, a, a, is an affliction only the wealthy can afford?
1: Yeah, something uh, along
4: those lines. I mean, one of those, um, you know, communist yeah. uh, fathers.
1: I think from a generation point. I mean, it's, I, I discussed this with Gita on the last podcast because her parents, I'm sure your parents, our parents, they didn't have time to, you know, take time out or or need to dress whatever. Yeah. It was a case of, you know, six o'clock every morning out of bed. Yeah. Down there. I mean, the sad fact of the matter is, you know, my my father isn't around anymore, and my childhood memories of with him are quite limited because we'd never see him. Mm even on a Sunday he would go up to Edinburgh yeah. uh, or a place just outside Edinburgh to the markets. Yeah, to yeah? yeah. And it's a different... So of course we've got hybrid working now so would you agree on the fact that as generations go on the, the issues around what with times change also needs to be addressed? I mean the most obvious example is what we just talked about, is like social media. you know, And, and that's an area I want to sort of in a way um, segue into um, so recently, there was a case of Molly Russell, and I believe, so, a year or two ago, uh, this young girl sadly took her own life because she was exposed to very harmful content mm-hmm. in, on social media, where she then developed very sort of, you know, suicidal tendencies and she sadly took her life. And her father, um, credit to him, has been, is, is become a campaign on the back of this demanding that the tech companies address this issue. I think at one point I read the other day was that there should be a separate social media not just a social media within other companies but for example a Twitter, there's an adult Twitter and a children's Twitter there's an adult Facebook and a children's Facebook. So my question to you is is there is, is there a is there leg room for, for this or do you think as you said before the money aspect, the monetizing aspect in terms of these sorts of companies that that would override anything like
4: that? I think they need to be managed and governed a lot more because there's a lot goes on. Um, you know, what I realised is what parents think eight, nine-year-old kids talk about is totally different than what they actually talk about within their chat rooms. Yeah, yeah The yeah. problem is that, you know, and I'm not talking about this in an old-fashioned way, I'm talking about the whole process of, you know, when I was growing up, if you needed to find out something, you went out. Mm. You went to the library. Oh, you did all I this. Miss them there was, did, yeah. but there yeah. were physical activities yeah. that removed you. But now, you can live your whole life just in your yeah. room, yeah. in one room. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. get your food delivered. Yeah, I know. Anything you need, as long as you've got an ensuite bathroom. <laughs> you know, that, that's a good recommendation. That's my, uh, you know.
1: And I think that was a wake-up call, was not it, during lockdown?
4: Just yeah. how much we could yeah. do. Because mm-hmm. they
1: often leave me to th- led me to think. God, what, imagine if this pandemic it was around in the 70s, or 80s, or 90s, yeah. where we were all we would have been writing letters and postcards and like
4: yeah. getting endless
1: phone bills because <laughs> we'd be bringing everybody. I know, um, especially our families, because we ring an Indian, Pakistan all yeah, the time. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I know. But yeah, yeah, you 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 are so right on that. I mean, um, I describe this culture we live now is very. It's a very instantaneous culture. There was a wake-up call. I remember, I don't know, I've told you the story before, but um, it's actually just very similar to what you just said. You know, I remember I was catching a bus one day and I was crossing the road and these kids were leaving school and a few of them were hanging around the bus stop and a bus came around the corner and they were saying goodbye to their mates as they hopped on the bus. And in our day, we'd be like, oh, what time will I meet you at the park? What time will I meet you at the shops? Mm -hmm. These kids were saying, oh, what time are you going to be online tonight? Yeah, yeah. So, they're actually arranging to meet each other in in their own bedrooms. And I remember thinking,
4: wow. And he says, a lot of them, uh, the children that get driven there as well, is sadly through bullying or other challenges that they're facing at school. So, they are driven to this online because it's safer.
1: Is there an important child development factor
4: being? missed here as well, that they're not going out as much Yeah, socialisation you know, integration into all uh, physical things Mm. Um, because the reality is this, isn't it what they're learning is you can live a life in isolation the best example is I think I've got um, I was having this conversation a few years ago I've I've got about 1,500 people on Facebook and I know every single one of them and the person I was talking to was they were shocked that well but you've got five thousand, and they say, so "Do you know them?" No. no know. But to them, yeah, that is their life. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't accept friend requests from people I don't know. I think, why do I. you want to be my friend? <laughs> you know, it's it's not a friend. It's it should be other a, a person. But mm. who I don't know. Mm. But the thing is, although we think we're getting the illusion mm. that our circle is wider, it's yeah. actually we're living in a lot of isolation. Wow. That's a great, great comparison, because
1: while we're having all these new virtual friends, yeah. we're actually living a more isolated life. We are. Wow. Yeah, that, wow. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah.
4: And that idea. affects our mental it health. Helps. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, you know, I've worked with children nine years old, ten years of who are self-harming, yeah. and when we explore in therapy where it came from, it actually came from from the chat rooms, which are specifically there about yeah. self harm, yeah. and kids can Google things like. Yeah or how do I self-harm and and it's not just social it's
1: it's actual tech itself it's actual
4: tech itself so you know do they shut these chat rooms down okay if they shut them down there has to be a recommendation like like you know if you google things on suicide now there's a number of things come up Samaritans. this is what you do this is what you can do they actually need these within the chat rooms but the thing is the chat rooms aren't governed by anybody You know, there's secretive little groups going yeah, on, yeah. Well, whatever you want to talk about, to whatever age groups, 7-year-olds, 8-year-olds, they yeah, have yeah. their own little groups, yeah. but they're not talking about current affairs, yeah. they're talking about topics way beyond yeah. what they're able to process exactly. psychologically, exactly. beyond their maturity.